Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Now, as you're turning there, um, I need, I'm going to need three volunteers. Okay. Now here's the stipulation. Okay. These three volunteers have to like apples and be willing to eat one while I'm preaching. Okay. All right. So, all right, Nate, come up here and Eli, come up here. And, all right, Braden, come on. Nope. All right. Take a plate. I'll give you two, I think. Take a plate. There's a couple plates. All right. Now, take an apple. Don't eat it yet. Okay? Take an apple. These are my favorite type of apples. They're Fuji apples. I love them. They're so good. All right, so first thing, you each have an apple. I have an apple. Okay? Um, Our apples are not the same. Now, I want you guys, as you take your apples and you think about this, uh, I'm going to hand this to you, and I want you to make a couple observations, just a couple, about what's different about these two apples. So take that in your hand. Okay? What's what's different? What's what's one thing that's different about this apple I just handed you and the, this one over here? Okay, this one's lighter. All right, they're not the same weight. Okay, how about you, Nate? What what is what is one difference as you look at that? It feels really fake. Okay, all right. What's what, hold that? Take that. What's what's one difference that you notice between these two? What do you think? It's too red, okay? In some ways, it looks, it looks really good, doesn't it? Okay? All right. What's another thing that you might observe that would be different about this apple, Nate, than... It looks like a pepper. Okay? All right. What do you think? What's another thing? got more dense. Okay. All right. So, there's some imperfections. Um, what about what happens if I were to leave one of these out for a week... Or two weeks. This one's going to stay the same, right? Nothing changes about it. Now, here, i got a question for you guys. Um, which one of you guys would be willing to eat this? <laughs> I knew there would be one. I knew there would be one. Okay? Um, this is probably not going to taste very good. Now, the interesting thing about this is if you were, guys were to hold this, you would actually see some teeth marks. Because my kids thought it looked so good in my office that one of them tried to take a bite of it and realized very quickly it was a bad idea. All right, so, all right, this is the first part of this. I want you guys to kind of keep this in mind, okay? Um, but here's, here's you guys' challenge. While we step into God's Word, what I want you guys to do is I'm going to have you eat this apple to the point that you're able to count how many seeds are in this apple, okay? All right? So you have to eat the apple. I'm giving you permission. 
You eat the apple while, while we're talking, and I want you to have the seeds set out on your plate. And at the end, I'm going to ask you how many seeds were in your apple, okay? All right, go ahead and sit down. Now, in, in the grand scope of things, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture for you. Uh, when we think about what we are called to as the church, and it's not uncommon whenever someone approaches uh, the church and asks, what are we called to as the church, that a very uh, common response is, we're called to bear fruit. We're called to bear fruit. And uh, we, we, whether we realize it or not, many of us have this idea in our head, this picture of kind of the perfect fruit and what it looks like. And for many of you, if you were to take apples from the store and compare them with your decorative apples, you would go, um, actually, from a visual standpoint, this looks uh, quite a bit more appealing, especially the longer time goes on. But what we really need to ask is, what does faithful, biblical fruit look like And how should we approach that differently? And so I want you to keep this picture in your minds, and and we'll get back to that uh, near the end of this. But we're going to be in John chapter 15. And uh, you can see, if you got your uh, handout with the sermon notes on, you can see these questions we want to ask. Who are we? Whose are we? Um, These core questions to how we live and function and Go from where we are to where God wants us to be as the church. So, in the midst of that, let's look at Scripture. And I want to give you today four specific truths about who we are and what we're called to, according to God's Word. Uh, Now, contextually, Jesus is talking here to His disciples. And this is before Jesus is crucified. After, in John 13, He is washed to their feet. We, we see this take place in the upper room. This is all before Jesus is turned over, put on trial, and ultimately crucified. So you kind of get the timeline of what's happening here. All of Jesus' ministry has taken place. He knows his time is coming. His disciples have been with him. And now he's giving them these exhortations before he leaves. And so... Um, who are we, who's, who we are, whose we are, and why are we here? Three statements. Um, number one, and then we're, we're going to read uh, John 15, verses 1 through 6. We are his uh, branches called to absolute dependency. Look at John 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. We are his branches called to absolute dependency. Now, a a point of clarification in the midst of this. uh, The only way you become one of the branches rooted in Christ is to believe that Jesus is the only way. You are not born a branch. And I want you to keep that in mind. In fact, John chapter 1 says, To all who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Meaning, you are not born a child of God. It didn't matter that uh, Caden's great-grandparents attended church. That could not save him. The only saving faith is found when we decide to place our faith in Christ. Then you become grafted in and become one of his branches. When I say we are his branches called to absolute dependency, I'm speaking to those of you who say, I believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. Now, the. Two truths in these verses. One, if you abide in Christ, you will produce fruit, be pruned, and bear more fruit. If you do not abide in Christ, there is no life in you, for a branch separated from the vine cannot produce fruit. Now, in the midst of this, We also have to realize that if we're not careful, we can become people who confess the name of Jesus and yet become, in a sense, separated from Christ and of no use. Just as faith without works is dead, belief without fruit is useless. We can do a really good job of coming here and and doing some fun things and and make a lot of noise And be absolutely useless in the grand scheme of the kingdom of God. In fact, we could point to multiple organizations across to the country who can gather thousands and accomplish nothing for the sake of God's kingdom. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' own words here in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. There's the image picture. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Are we absolutely dependent on Christ? That's that last song we sang. Yet not I, yet not us, but Christ in us. is the only way we bear fruit that's meaningful. And bear fruit that lasts. Secondly, in verses 7 through 12, we are his disciples called to absolute obedience. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove To be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, 
So I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. When we read this and we think about abiding in Christ, it is wise for us to ask, how do we abide in Christ? Specifically, verse 9 poses this question, um, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Recognize he's talking here to who? Who's he talking to? Disciples. Everyone say disciples. His disciples. He's talking to those faithful disciples. And he tells them, abide in his love. Abide in my love. The logical question that flows from that is what? How do I do that? How do I abide in the love of Christ? That, if I'm one of the disciples sitting here under the teaching of Jesus, I'm going to be asking, I, okay, you told me what I need to do now. How do I do it? And he responds, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You see, too often, church family, we actually separate abiding in Christ and obedience. And we go, I'm going to cling to Jesus. I'm going to stay rooted in Christ. I'm going to cling to him. And then we go off and do our own thing. And then we wonder, why, why do I feel so separated from God? Because when you separate yourself from the vine, you are lifeless. There, there is no life in that. And the interesting reality about sanctification is uh, there's going to be seasons of your life that you've probably already experienced where you sought to do things your own way and you felt life leaving you. You, you, you felt depleted. That's because apart from Christ, you can do nothing. If you don't abide in Christ, there is no fruit that is born out of that. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And recognize how interesting is it here that it is not bearing fruit that makes you a disciple here. Understand that. But proves that you are a disciple. Faith in Christ is what makes you a disciple or a follower. But if you have put your faith in Christ, it is the same as Jesus calling out to his disciples and saying, follow me. Those who only hear the call, but do not respond to the call, are still separated. But the ones who respond to it are the ones who became disciples and that is proven by the fruit of their faith. And what I'm trying to tell you is you can sit in a place like this for decades and hear the right things and walk away unchanged. 
And it doesn't matter how whoever's standing up here says it. It doesn't matter what is said. But if you are a hearer of the word and not a doer, then can we expect life from that? And as I say that, I'm I'm challenged with you by that church family that we don't just become people who know the right things to say, but we genuinely as a family put our faith in the one, the only one who can bring change. And I guarantee there are those of you sitting here today whose faith is in yourself. Because it's the most natural thing for us to do. As a follower of Jesus, we are his disciples called to absolute obedience. It's interesting when we think about Jesus' role and the difference between, say, a disciple and a student. Many of us say, well, I want to be a student of the word. That's not a bad thing in and of itself. But being a follower, a disciple is significantly different. Um, Examples of that. Students know what the teacher knows. Is rooted in my understanding of what I'm being told. But a disciple or an apprentice becomes like the teacher. And it's the difference between information and a way of life. The difference between being able to know a lot of things and actually having that truth transform who you are. I can't tell you the number of people that I've met who are not saved that could quote the Bible like the back of their hand. They know a lot of information, but it has left them completely unchanged. And a question we should ask in the midst of that is, are we educated beyond obedience? Have we allowed ourselves to become so educated to the point that we we feel like our faith is rooted more in what I know to, to where it doesn't become, I live it out. We're his disciples called to absolute obedience. Thirdly, we are his friends. Those in Christ are his friends called to overflowing intimacy. In verse 12, Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another and he is the standard as I have loved you. That's the standard. Okay? Uh, Truth statement. You and the culture around you has not and cannot define what love is. First John tells us that. God is love. It's not that God created love. He is it. He he is. He, He has defined that. And then Jesus fleshed this out and says, your love for one another is to be the same way I have loved you. I am the example. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Little did his disciples know what Jesus was really saying here at this point. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Whoa, wait a minute. How many times do we not quote that? Right? That's a really direct statement. It could have, Jesus could have ended that and says, you're my friends because I'm laying down my life for you. That's 
That's a prosperity gospel. Instead, he says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. When we stop and we think about that, what does that communicate about where we are? Am I, am I abiding in Christ? Is the fruit that's being produced coming from Him or my attempts to produce fruit of my own doing? Because I'm going to tell you, of my own doing, I can probably produce some fruit that looks like this on the outside, but internally is absolutely worthless apart from Jesus. Because... The apples that these three young men are eating, they're pretty, they're pretty tasty. And they provide some sort of sustenance. Um, I can't provide that apart from Christ. My attempts to do so may look really good, but it will provide no, no nutrition in growth that is fruitful. Called to overflowing intimacy. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the truth that uh, Jesus here is saying, love one another as I have loved you, and he's talking to the disciples, that the love for one another is to start here. It's to begin amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where it's to start. That's the example. Uh, most of the time we take that and we, we throw that out into culture. And there should be an element of that. Jesus also said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But if we only go out there and love people out there and yet are willing to be in dissension with one another in here, unforgiving with one another, and lack those characteristics that Christ has called, then we are not producing the very fruit Jesus is calling his disciples to produce here. We are not in that sense abiding in Christ. And here's, the, here's, here's a, what seems like a crazy simple truth that's really hard to live out, and I tell my kids this all the time, you are responsible for you. <laughs> In the, in the midst of that, we are in control of how we respond. Um, I'm not saying that you're not going to encounter difficult people in the church. You will. Uh, one of my favorite, this is sarcastic, one of my favorite things right now is people saying, ah, I, I just don't go to church because there's too many hypocrites there. And I go, um... Pretty sure if you go to the gym, you're going to find unhealthy people there. Right? How ridiculous would it be if someone came up to you and says, Oh, I don't go to the gym anymore because I go in there and there's all these unhealthy people. I don't, I don't want to surround myself with that. What do you think the gym is there for? Right? What do you think the church is here for? The church is meant to be a place where we grow together in Christ. Now, 
It's easy for me to say that it's a whole nother thing for us to live it out. That's where the overflowing intimacy comes from. And it's not that I take what's in me and overflow that. It's that I take what Christ has given to us as the church and I allow the overflow from Him to overflow out of me to the people around me, starting with my church family. But then it doesn't stop there. The overflow should pour out of these walls into a community that, as we saw, is in desperate need of a hope that we cannot give them on our own, but comes from Christ when we abide in Him. Lastly, we are His seeds called to absolute surrender. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Think about the lived experience in the life of the disciples at this point who Jesus intersected with them right where they were at and he simply said, follow me. And they left everything that they knew and followed Jesus. And he reminds them, the reason I've chose you, I called you and said, follow me, is that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. Think about that picture for a minute. Bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And this is the, when, when we as the church do exactly what God has called us to, it becomes a cycle that is beautiful. That as you abide in Christ and you overflow into other people and they choose then to abide in Christ. So the fruit of you abiding in Christ then abides in Christ. So that then when they overflow and impact people around them and that person now abides in Christ, you see how this goes. It's incredible. Did you know that it's estimated That if one person, the way multiplication works in discipleship, if one person was faithful to disciple one person a year, and then that person being discipled goes and disciples someone else, and the first person is discipling another person, did you know that statistically speaking, the entire population of the world could be reached in less than 50 years? Really? And yet, the interesting fact is, is if you did a 10,000 person event every year, and that was the only time that things were being done, it would take longer than any of our lifetimes and beyond to reach the population. Statistically. What would happen? What would change in our community If we sought in the next however many decades that we as a generation last, carry this band of faithfulness, praising God that he has sustained this church body in Canton, Illinois for the last hundred years, but not stopping there, but using that as motivation that faithful people that have gone before us. 
began a work that we carry on and say, I'm going to choose to abide in Christ. I'm going to choose to live in absolute surrender to the only one who can bring about lasting, sustaining fruit. That we fix our eyes there. In the verses of Paul, I want to jump down to 26 and 27. But in these verses in between there, he says, uh, ultimately, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Don't be afraid. Because so they have hated me before they hated you. You're not of the world. In verse 26, but when the helper comes whom I will send to you. From the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. We are His seeds called to absolute surrender. All right, question. My three guys, how many seeds were in your apples? Seven. Seven. Two. Okay. You might have eaten some. (laughs) Here's the thing, church. If we ask the question, how many seeds are in the apple? We're asking the wrong question. The question we should be asking is how many apples are in a seed? If we take that seed and we put it in the ground and we nurture it, see it grow, in the lifetime of that seed, how many apples will it produce? We, we really have no idea, right? And yet, think about, if we become so focused on asking the question, how many seeds are in the apple, we could miss the profound impact and vision of what could flourish when we recognizing that we carry the very hope of eternity in us, what fruit will we set out to produce until the Lord returns? What will our children and our children's children and their children be able to reflect back on this season? in the life of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton and say about what we fixed our eyes on. I pray that we fixate on how many apples are in the seed and we don't become consumed with appearances or things that might seem like they matter, but in the grand scheme they really don't. And instead, abide in Christ, knowing that from Him, And Him alone, we're given life and hope and freedom. And that no matter what takes place around us, the fruit that comes from the life of Jesus, it does not fade away. It does not pass. It will not rot. My exhortation to you, to us, is that we would choose to abide in Christ. Yet not I, but Christ in us. Amen? I'm going to ask the music team to come forward. 
And I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And as they're coming, I just want to pose a simple challenge to you. Who has, who has God put in front of you right now in this season of your life? Where is God calling you just to be faithful? Answer that question this week. And set your eyes on Him. Strive to be faithful. Let's do that together. And recognize His faithfulness. Praise God far surpasses ours. And always will. And we can reflect and be able to profoundly say, Great is Thy faithfulness. Father, as we... Close this time and we reflect upon your faithfulness, your goodness over the past hundred years and far beyond that. Really, Lord, uh, we we confess a hundred years is such a minuscule time in the scope of eternity. And yet, Lord, we want to just pause and praise you for life. I praise you for the faithful people who've gone before us, who have sought to instill truth and life of God the life-giving hope of Jesus into this community. Lord, we recognize that now falls to us. We have a responsibility here. May we fixate on you and allow you to guide us into who you have placed in our lives that we can share this hope with, that we would be fruit-producing branches. All for your glory and not our own, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.